And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We really appreciate you tuning into the show today. And as usual, we're going to be on for the next hour with a live call-in show here in Port St. Lucie, and you're welcome to join us. I'll be giving you the numbers and how to reach us here in just a moment. If you want to write that down, we'd appreciate it. You can you can not only call this show, and we, I'll give you the call-in numbers, the text number, and email numbers, but I think maybe you just heard you can listen to this show live anywhere in the world on Sunday mornings through WPSL.com. Uh, all you've got to do is tell your friends, tune in at 9 o'clock to, the, to that website and click the Listen Live button. I think you can also find the show on the TuneIn Radio app, what I know. Maybe Amazon. I know the... Well, I've been told the Amazon devices, Alexa and all those, you just ask for, you just ask for um, WPSL 1590. It'll take you there, and you can listen to the show. And, and that's 9 o'clock Eastern time. Yes, 9 o'clock Eastern U.S. time. That's correct. And then also, <clears throat> you can also listen to recordings of the show if you go to our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. We are just Christians.com. You'll see a little link there on the left hand side of the first page for the radio show. All the recordings going back many years. I and I, they're also available as a podcast on at the Apple iTunes stores. We are just Christians. So anyway, you could all but the best way to talk to us this morning, which we're interested in, is the numbers at the at WPSL 772-340-1590. 772 340-1590 is the number. You can call us live and we'll put you at the front of the list. We promise that we're not going to uh, somehow take advantage of you in some way. We're not going to um, uh, just bait you with something. And so if we'll drive a conversation about whatever's on your mind, it could be any spiritual topic you want to talk about. You don't have to be a Christian or a believer to call this show. We are going to discuss the topic from our end, from the Christian viewpoint, whether you, whether you you know that's what you call about or not. But we're not going to be uh, mistreating you in that regard, and we're going to give you the last words. So whatever you, we talk about, we'll be happy to have you uh, say what's on your mind and whether we agree or disagree. So you can reach us seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. You can also reach the show. <clears throat> Uh, during the show and during the week by text messages. Gary Jones and I each have a text number. They're very similar, 772 See there, Gary, I started thinking about making a mistake, and then I hesitated. 772-260-6120. Actually, what I was thinking of, I haven't made a mistake on that in a while. And see how I almost blew it there by thinking about that? Anyway, that's my text number. Gary's text number is similar, 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220. Gary thinks we've missed a couple of text messages that we haven't talked about. I'm going to go back and search through my text messages, make sure that you haven't sent me a message in the past, some of your listeners, and I just overlooked it as far as dealing with it during a show or on another show, if you have done so and you want to resend that or remind me, I can assure you that we did not intentionally not talk about your your question. Uh, there have been times when I have wanted to put them off because it's a big discussion, maybe for another show. Potentially, we could have overlooked it. So if we've done that, let us know. We'll be glad to talk about your subject, whatever it might be. 772-260-6120 or 6220, the text numbers. Right now, give us a call, 772-340-1590, and uh, we'll be glad to have a conversation with you, or if you just want to ask a question, that's fine. As I said, it can be about any subject. We talk about, since this show is about being just a Christian, not part of some man-made denomination or following different traditions and creeds to know what to do or how to live, we're going to base our answers off the New Testament and, and therefore, we're going to try to give you answers from the Bible as best we can. But we talk about all kinds of things on this show, 
not just something that some people would call church doctrine about the liter about what you might call liturgy or worship questions or uh, different uh, church doctrines. Th- that's all fine. We talk about that stuff, and it's very important. But we talk about we believe that the doctrine of Christ encompasses all of life. It's about everything, and so we talk about mock current events. We talk about what other people might call politics because it because uh, now with uh, uh, progressive politics has impinged upon what normally would be called religion or spiritual topics. Didn't used to be that way quite as much, but now they're, they intend, leftist progressives intend to control all of life in a secular way, and so we often talk about that. And the uh, Supreme Court had a nice decision this week. Well, the, the Supreme Court this week did offer some protection to Christians as far right. as free speech. We have and about even working conditions, which I guess is a part of the exercise of religious liberty, the First Amendment. That's that's one of the things that we've talked about on this show many times, Gary, is the idea that the fundamental thing that you and I are interested in about that is freedom of speech. Yes, but Mike which goes there, with there, freedom there, of religion. Yeah, but there's a basic difference here. Christ never asked us to force people to follow what he says by laws of the land. And no, no, but they, they, they ought to, re, they ought to, ref, we believe they ought to reflect his moral law. That's what we believe. But they didn't ask us to force us. So my point about freedom of speech is I, I'm not, I have no interest in shutting down any other radio show or person who disagrees with me. But I also want to insist that I have the right to speak too. Yes. And that's what you believe, right? And right. So as long as they don't shut us off, we don't mind them speaking however wrong they are about what they say. Jesus says you partake of his word as a volunteer. Exactly. It's all you, uh, all volunteer, as it were, and not force. And so we don't believe in using governmental force to force people to believe. I, we don't believe in hate speech or hate crimes for that reason. Not because we don't believe in hate or because we endorse hate. But because who gets to decide what's hateful? That's the problem. And so in a free society, we can uh, we can discuss what's legal and illegal and what's right or wrong to do. But trying to control people's thoughts and their speech in this way, it requires a lot more authoritarian, heavy handed approach than we're comfortable with as Christians. It's hard to understand sometimes that there's a difference between. Right and wrong and legal and illegal. Yes, and that's what people and, – and that's a big distinction. we got a caller, but let me just comment on that. Uh, we'll go to the phones in just a second. But uh, one of the differences between dedicated Christians or, or truly devout Christians and other kinds of Christians or other people is that just because the government says something is legal doesn't mean, for example, that you and I, Gary, are going to go ahead and do it because it's now legal. We, we have a higher standard – a different standard, a more excellent way than just what the law of the land is. So they can pass all the laws they want about some things to make it legal. That's not going to change the Christian. That should not change the Christian's behavior just because it becomes legal. Is that the point you're making? That's the point I'm making. And Jesus said in John 12, 48, I had to get this one in, Mike. Go ahead. He says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's the point of view that we are coming from. We are coming from the idea that Jesus's word is recorded in the old and well, basically in the New Testament, but also in the old and new. And that that is the standard by which we're going to be judged. In the final right. Exactly. Well, let's go to the phones and uh, we might come back to that later. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Thank you for taking my call. I was wondering about uh, the book that came out around 1910. I think it was back about the uh, conditions in the meat processing plants in uh, Chicago and Kansas City where they would uh, bring the cattle up uh, by by train, and uh, it changed the conditions uh, for the people who worked in the meat processing plants. And I do think it was strong buck, uh, but uh, what this is all relating to, my question is about uh, trigonosis and the Jewish custom of not eating pork. And it made a lot of sense. Uh, if you could just uh, br- briefly talk about trigonosis and the Hebrews' uh, belief that you don't eat pork, pork, and 
thank you for taking my call, Mike. Okay, Jerry, thank you very much. Well, the I don't the um we'll start off here. The Bible does not mention trichinosis or anything like that uh, as far as a, a particular disease. This is a there was a book published. We're going to go back and look at the idea of clean and unclean foods in just a moment. But in a general way, there was a book published when I was a boy back in the 60s, I think, called None of These Diseases. It was a fairly popular book, especially in Christian circles. I think even though I was a boy at the time it came out, I was a heavy reader at that time. I was even a nerd when I was a child. Anyway, uh, this book put forth the premise that the reason that God gave the law, the dietary laws of the Old Testament was because they were healthier for people. And one of the diseases that I believe from this has been a long time since I read this. I don't think I'm mistaken, though. One of the diseases they mentioned was this trichinosis uh, disease, what you can get because of some kind of parasite that often lives in pork that's not prepared properly. If you don't cook the pork enough, it can carry this disease or parasite. And so in any event, the idea put forth that the reason God gave the dietary laws, that the Jews couldn't eat pork, that they couldn't eat all kind of any kind of scavenger, they can't eat shrimp, they can't eat catfish, they can eat any kind of no fish without scales and so forth. So they can't eat shrimp and catfish, things like that, and they can't eat many other kinds of meat, uh, especially predators, and and uh, they can eat predators and scavengers. I'm going to be broad about my statement about that. But this was all done for health reasons. Now, I understand. Islam, I, I, Islam doesn't allow you to eat pork. Either. Right. And there's a there's an Islam. Well, Islam is borrowed from the Old Testament. Islam is not a new religion in that sense. It was many of the restrictions and teachings of Islam by Muhammad were taken straight out of the Moses law, along with other things. I know that might cause people to be upset, but that's just simply the way it is. Then and you kind of wonder why they can't get along. But well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's they're very much they're very similar in that regard. It's just that. Well, in any event, I disagree with that premise. I don't think that the reason why God um, wouldn't let them eat pork and because is because they might get trichinosis. You could. You can get diseases from eating beef, too, and, and all kind of other animals, depending on how they're cared for. And, and Steinbeck's book, and I forgot the name. All I can think of is Grapes of Wrath, but that's not the book. It's another book, and I just can't think of it off the top of my head. I'm not uh, sure I do. But in any event, I know the book he's talking about. That's almost going to come to me here in a second. Uh, I, I think that his book was about the conditions in these meat processing fact plants as far as especially the workers and sanitation. Well, that would be true whether eating pork or not eating pork. Those Those things need to be improved and so forth. But it does bring up the issue of – uh, clean and unclean and very and very early in now here's the re, let me go back i'm going to get getting ahead of myself let me just go back and make a general statement we can go back and break it down break it up a little bit more if you want to if you contend that the reason that god gave the dietary laws to moses was because of health reasons and he wanted the jews to be healthy and he didn't care about the rest of the world and so he didn't give them that law and let all the other people get these diseases, but he was going to protect the Jews. Now you got a problem in my book. That all sounds good at first, but here's what happens. Number one, then, you have people insisting today as Christians that there is a hallelujah diet, that there is a diet. Uh, I was going to – since everybody's doing diet crazy some years ago, I, based on this very idea, Gary, I told Judy and some other people, I'm going to invent the Sinai diet. I got me a book, I have written <laughs> the Sinai diet. I'm going to in, just go back and just copy what Moses said, insist that this is the healthiest diet, and we should all be practicing the Sinai diet. The problem with that is the Bible says in Matthew that Jesus made all meats clean. And, and, and Timothy, through the apostle Paul, told Timothy that nothing is unclean if it's received with thanksgiving. All foods are clean. So if God did that to the Jews so they would be healthy, what happened now? Does he not care if I get sick? 
Doesn't he care if I get trichinosis? If he told the Jews not to eat pork so they wouldn't get trichinosis? Doesn't he care if I get trichinosis? He says, I can eat them. I can eat all meats. And I, I, I am a very much opposed to Christian I, Christians teaching that there is some kind of dietary restrictions um, on this. Now, somebody texted me, uh, uh, Jeff from Texas, Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. That's the book. That that's probably okay. correct. I don't know if it's a Steinbeck, but it's in that same genre of literature. Thank you for that, Jeff. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I I've read that book too, The Jungle. I believe that's one of them. Now, I, it did Steinbeck write a book about it. He could have, but I think the book that I was thinking of, in fact, that name was something was rattling around in there. Wouldn't quite come out. Thank you for that information. Upton Sinclair's The Jungle. <clears throat> Just got a text on that. But the problem is, if you say that. God made the Jews special and gave them this healthy diet. We should go back to the Sinai diet, as I would call it. Then what about Jesus saying and through and Paul saying through Jesus that everything is OK to eat? Well, what does that mean now? See, that's that, that's just the problem. Well, see, there, there's another aspect of it, too. If, if I understand this parasite they call trichinella. Trichinosis, or, or well, tri- that may not be the ex- that, the that's a disease. Trichinella. Yeah, that's right. You're correct. I'm um, sorry. Occurs in all, almost all wild game, not just not just <laughs> pork. I know, <laughs> I know Gary. I, I know that's the point. I'm that's kind of what I'm getting at. It it is not limited to pork. It can occur in a lot of places. Beef has all kind of other problems. This is just not very good. Now, I'm not saying about Jerry. Jerry's asking the question. I don't think this is good biblical exegesis or or anything like that to say that we shouldn't eat pork and it's okay to eat other meat because with pork you get diseases. If you don't cook any meat properly, you can get diseases of various kinds and parasites. Okay? Yeah. So you've got to be cautious about that. And And it doesn't matter if the animal is clean or unclean. As far as that's concerned, it doesn't really matter in that case. Now, it does seem to be more prevalent in some animals. They say it's it's more prevalent in pork and it's more prevalent in bear. I didn't know people ate bear. Meat. Yeah, they do. Eat, but apparently, it's pretty good. I've never had bear, but apparently it's good. But it's more common in bear and pork than it is in some. But, but you can get it from all wild game, apparently, according to this article. Now, of course, I got that off the Internet, so you know how good that is. Well, yeah, it, it must be true. Uh, anyway, uh, I mean, Wikipedia, of course, is the source of all truth. Anyway, right. and, and if it comes from AP and Reuters, you know it's the source of all truth. I, I hope all you there, 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 I hope, I hope all there are different levels there. of truth out there. But I hope all you people out there can recognize um, the sarcasm. When you yeah, I know it's kind of hard to recognize when I'm talking. But Leviticus um, 18, oh, excuse me, Leviticus 11 is where we find many of these. Let me just read a few of these, Gary. That's just, the that's the passage that's about the, the passage of, is about the unclean foods. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, "Speak to the children of Israel." This is not addressed to anybody but the children of Israel. That is the Jews of the Old Testament or the Jewish people. These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof having cloven hooves and chewing the cud that you may eat. So sheep, goats, animals like that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those that have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. That is something like I want to say a rabbit, but it's not really. It's some kind of a badger, I think. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. Can't eat rabbits. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet it does not chew the cud, is unclean. Their flesh you shall not eat it, and the carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. These you may eat of all that are in the water. Whatever in the water has fins and scales, whether in the seas or the rivers, that you may eat. But in all the seas and the rivers that do not have fins or scales that move in the water, any living thing which is in the water, they are an abomination to you. You cannot, they, you may not eat of their flesh, but you shall regard their carcasses as an abomination. Whatever is in the water does not have fins or scales, that's an abomination. So you can't eat shrimp, 
and catfish is to mean two common things that Americans eat a lot of crabs probably are the same thing so these and as far as birds they shall not be eaten they are an abomination among the birds the eagle the vulture and the buzzard these are the kite the falcon after its kind every raven after its kind the ostrich which is not the ostrich of Australia it's a different bird the short-eared owl the seagull the hawk after its kind see the little owl the fish owl the screech owl the white owl the jackdaw the carrion vulture the stork, the heron after its kind, the hopo, the bat. Now, these are all birds that are predators or... Bats consider birds? Here it is. Okay. They don't classify, they didn't classify animals the way we do uh, exactly, but it's, considered, it's a flying thing of the heaven. It says things in the heavens. Oh, see, okay. The flying things. Flying um, things, I, I got that. Yeah, uh, so uh, we go back to this... Uh, among the birds and so forth that uh, said another place I think it says flying things then it talks about insects all flying insects that creep on all fours shall be an abomination to you yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours those which have jointed legs above their feet with which to leap to, on the earth so the Jews are in good shape as far as this new food that the world government's kind of force on us all these grasshoppers and crickets you know these, the locust after its kind, destroying locust, the cricket, the grasshopper, you can eat all that stuff. But other flying insects which have four feet shall be an abomination to you. So, and it goes on to talk about this. Now, <clears throat> there's, there's no way that you can maintain that only those animals are harmful for people to eat and the other animals are good to eat. But there's some distinction based on health there. It would, it might or might not be an abomination to eat those animals. It might, I mean, not abomination, but it might or might not be unhealthy to eat those animals, you see. But um, that's not, I think that these laws were given among the, and he, these are among the laws like what they should wear. They couldn't wear two kinds of, I have a silk tie and a cotton shirt on right now. That would be unlawful under the law of Moses. I can't mix two kinds of cloth. And especially if you pick up a label on a cloth, on a shirt, and it says cotton and polyester mixed, you see, which yeah. most of our clothes are, can't wear that clothing if you're an Orthodox Jew, according to the law of Moses. You can't plant two kinds of crop in the same field. Every field had to have its own crop, no mixing of the crops. Now, those laws were not done for some health reason, they they almost seem arbitrary, but of course they weren't arbitrary. They were um, they were given so to teach the Jews that you are different from all the other nations. You're going to wear different clothes. You're going to do your agriculture differently. It's going to set you apart, make you an oddity in the world. You're going to eat different different foods. You're going to not eat other foods everybody else loves. And you're going to be an oddity. You're going to be an odd, strange person set apart. These things will divide the Jews from their neighbors. They will keep them from interacting with their neighbors in the most intimate ways. That's what the law of Moses was done. It was designed, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, to separate them, to keep them in ward in their own little group until the Messiah would come. That's what the purpose of these laws of cleanness and uncleanness were. They were to teach them at every level of life that to be God's servant is to be separate and holy. Some things you can do, some things you can't do. They weren't about good. They, they weren't even about good or evil. Okay, touching a dead body made you unclean. It didn't make you a sinner. It didn't make you evil when you touched a dead body. It made you unclean ceremonially, and you had to go through a process to to become not defiled again you see and uh, a woman being on her period made her unclean for those days not because she's a wicked person or a bad person it was a symbol of separation and so forth and so there was and there's a lot of we could talk about that at length but <clears throat> the but bible that, has a lot of this kind of stuff we but, just simply make our own modern assumptions about it but now having said that, Mike, let's let's stop and think about it. That actually, in a way, carries on into the Christian. Christian in his moral life and in his spiritual life is just as separate from the world as the Jew was from his. 
but in a different way. Right. And it was a, you know, they were an example to us, the scripture says, in some of the things that happened to them and what they did that should teach us a lesson about being friends with the world. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the New Testament says you're you're not to be friends with the world, right? but to be separate from the world. And that's moral and spiritually and in your behavior and in your moral code. You are just as different from the world as the Jew was from his. Right. So let's not miss that. That I think that's important concept here. Right. I, and I think that's we have our, our our behavior and our attitudes separate us from the world. What's what the temptation is is uh, always been, and it's particularly true in our day and time. Is Christian and Christian churches, people that call themselves Christians, are trying every way they can to be like the to world. be like the world and not separate because they don't want to face the world's criticism. Uh, of being, quote, on the wrong side of history or some such nonsense like that. Uh, and so they're willing, to, uh, they're willing to countenance and approve of almost any kind of moral behavior or unscriptural teaching just so they won't be criticized by their neighbors. And this is the problem. That if When the Jews did that in the Old Testament, they became like the pagans, and God destroyed the Jews for not being separate when he told them to be separate they became like their neighbors he will he will um, bring judgment upon modern christian to do the same thing now then jesus had this uh, going a little further with this jesus had this discussion in mark chapter 7 with the pharisees because they did not they perceived that he would not he wasn't going to wash his hands okay they, they came to him and they said in verse, we're not going to read on this whole chapter, but in Mark 7, verse 2, when they saw that some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, literally from the fist, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. And they ask him why they don't wash why they don't wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders. And Jesus called them a bunch of hypocrites because they've laid aside uh, God's commandments to keep the commandments of their of their own. Now, what he's talking about here is not just washing your hands because you've handled something nasty or filthy, but they were doing this ceremonially as an indication of internal cleanness, the washing. It's a ceremonial type washing. And I kind of viewed my mother and grandmother telling me to wash my hands as ceremonial sometimes. And I didn't understand when I was a boy. Well, but he that, even, he went, went so this was call, not about sanitation. He even went so far as to call them whitewashed tombs, right. white and clean on the outside with dead men's bones on the inside. This passage is why we're so much so much against keeping human tradition as a matter of law, like so many Christians do. That we talk about in this show. Now, here's what Jesus says. When he called the multitude to himself, verse 14, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. Now, listen to that. Pork included. There is nothing which can enter a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things which defile him. What, what comes out of your mouth and, and, and through your hands into actions, that can defile you. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when and then he um, enters into a house and they ask him about this again. He says, are you thus without understanding? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter into the heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. What the comment here is Jesus made all meats clean. I think that's what the King James says there making all meats clean when he said this. What comes out of a man defiles him, not what goes into a man. He lists all the things that come in. So, so that this passage pairs up with the one where Paul then tells uh, Timothy that we're, everything is clean if we receive it with thanksgiving. While I look up that verse, 100% to read it, Gary, it's a funny story. I was looking. I was looking it's in 1 Timothy, I think, and, and my... My grandfather chewed tobacco almost all of his life, and you've probably heard me tell you before. Must be the King James Version. Um, hang on. Uh, what, what, I'm trying to think of the 
the first the first Timothy one. Yeah. About the. Um, yeah. Let me let me let me hold on. Now now you're making now you're getting me my brain locked up <laughs> on me here. Had a little glitch. It's uh. It's, yeah. It's uh. While you're looking that up, I can find it here real quick. While um, you're looking that up, go back to Mark seven for just. All right. You. I'm gonna. I'll tell you a funny story later. Go ahead. Okay. Go back to Mark seven. Right after that passage where he talks about them uh, doing the ceremonial washing, he, he says a bit, verse six something that's very important to us, and one of the things that we're we're here about is, is he answered and said to them, "Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." When you look at John 12:48, he says, the word that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. One of the things that Mike and I really work hard to be assured of is that we are worshiping according to what God tells us in his word and not according to the commandments of men. Right, right. Uh, that's one of the things. And so I would mark that passage, Mark 7, 6. Yes, that's why we're doing it. I didn't want to go aside into all of that at this moment, but that is but exactly the point. This. It was right there with that, because basically mm-hmm. when you make it into a ceremony, you're taking it out of the commandment of God and making it. Now, there's nothing, there, there's nothing wrong with you not eating pork. I don't or not eating shrimp. That's fine with me. I'll take Basically all the I'll take says, just scrape all those shrimp. Yeah. Take all those shrimp and pork chops and scrape them over onto my plate. and We'll take care of that problem. But the point is nothing wrong if you want to do that. But just don't say that God told you to do it and don't try to re- don't try to require everybody else to do it. Or I will object from the scriptures if you do that. So will Gary, because it's just a tradition. Now, what Paul says about this, he says this in. First Timothy four was the verse. Oh, by the way, I was going to tell you the story about my grandfather real quick. So he was always chewed tobacco and I was spitting in his platoon, you know, all the time and all this stuff. And all these different preachers we had growing up in the church, they were always kind of after my grandfather about smoking tobacco and smoking and chewing. So we had one preacher who was pretty funny. He's a great guy, John Clark. And John, uh, one day he talked about tobacco. And so he read this verse in a sermon. So my grandfather, I was standing there. My grandfather says to him, John, he says, uh, you know, you read that verse today about Jesus saying it's not what comes, uh, not what goes into a man that defiles him. And he said, so how, how is it that me chewing that tobacco is such a big problem? So John's answer was, well, well, uh, Brother Henson, you can take it in as much as you want as long as you don't spit it out because what comes out is what defiles you. <laughs> and my grandfather started laughing. He knew he got him because if you don't spit that tobacco juice out, <laughs> you got a problem. Oh, yeah. So in other words, he, he, this guy was pretty quick. He said, yeah, it's okay. You can take, you can put the tobacco in your mouth. Just don't spit it out. So anyway, uh, uh, he, worse, he, he, he was, he, he thought that was hilarious. My grandfather snuff. I had a great, great grandmother <laughs> that dipped snuff and it was, oh, that was, a, that was terrible. Yeah. Uh, my grandfather chewed Mickey twist and, uh, uh, mail pouch. But anyway, no long story. I got some other funny stories about that. We'll just forego those right now some other time. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, now the Spirit says expressly in that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So these there's spirits ideas in the world that go out there. They come from Satan to some degree. He isn't forcing anybody to believe them, but they're doctrines and teachings that come from the wicked side of the world. And these people that teach these things will speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So there were people teaching. He says in later times, it's going to get worse. They're going to, they're going to teach you that you can't get married and you can't eat certain foods. This was common among the Jews, and it was certainly common among uh, the Gnostics, who were a mixture of the Jewish traditions and pagan customs. And they had all of these spe- special ideas that if you were really holy, if you're truly holy, you wouldn't get married because that's just giving in to the flesh, and you wouldn't want to have sex. And then they would command you to abstain from food, and so you can't eat certain foods 
at certain times or at all because you're more holy if you don't eat these certain foods. He says these are doctrines of demons. These aren't the truth. Here's what he goes on to say. Verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So when I pray over my food and I listen to the word of God that I can know that it's clean, the, my food is sanctified. If I think it's wrong to eat it, I eat it. That's a sin. But as long as I understand from the word of God that it's clean and I eat it, it's sanctified if I give thanks for it. And so every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. I don't know how much plainer it can be in the New Testament that all foods are clean, that there's no restrictions about pork or any other kind of dietary restrictions. And there aren't any restrictions about whether it's right or wrong to marry as far as sexuality is concerned. There are laws about divorce and other things. But that's just simply something that humans make up. Now, we live in a world which both from religious and then secular vantage points, Gary, always tries to make certain foods unclean. They always try to single out the newest miracle food that you have to eat and then the other food that you can't eat. I got ads that pop up on my screen all the time every day from all these food. Doctors say you should never eat this. Doctors say you should never eat this. Somebody should never, you should never eat this. And, and I don't pay any attention to them. If you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. Don't tell me God said don't eat it, though. If you want, if you if you uh, want to eat it, I have no right to tell you you can't eat it because God said don't eat it. Okay, and that goes for Twinkies as well as shrimp and pork. You look like you got a funny, you got a funny well, look on I'm your face, thinking, Gary. You know, it, it, there, there's always someone that's going to take this to its literal extreme. And, and I'm going to say that there are some things out there that are poisonous that we probably shouldn't eat. And there are some things that people are allergic to. Well, now, shouldn't eat. Now, wait. Shouldn't eat. But now, shouldn't eat as far morally is different than shouldn't eat because it might hurt you or because it might kill you. Those are different things. So don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to let you get away with that, Gary. Sorry. Shouldn't. I'm I'm just teasing. You can't. Shouldn't. There's someone out there that's going to look at what you said in exactly. All foods are clean. Okay, they're clean. Should you they're eat all foods? Should you, yes. Should you eat all foods? Not necessarily. That's up to you. You're, if you don't want to eat a food because it gives you a stomach ache, don't eat it. Don't tell me God said don't eat it though. Uh, I, I ate poison ivy one time when I was a kid to prove I wasn't allergic to it. That's not a good idea. <laughs> but here I am. You see. You're right. Okay. So. Uh, but th- that's what I'm saying. There, there, there are. That's a, that's not moral though. That's not right. a moral law that, from the, the Bible. Cl- that's the clarification I'm trying to get. Made. Oh man, so, you know, Gary. At t- some point, you just can't make things clear enough for some people. I know. I you know, know but it's because you know you. Saying. No, nothing is foolproof because fools are so ingenious. Is that is that the law you're oh, trying oh, to yes, illustrate that, here? That, okay. That was that was uh, <laughs> that was a corollary to. Uh, basically <laughs> Murphy's law. That's Murphy's the, law. That's the corollary. Yeah, so, uh, nothing is foolproof because fools are so ingenious, so clever. All right. So I don't know if we answered Jerry's question or not. The, um, we, yes, it's we can debate whether there should be laws about meat processing and all that. The Bible does not say that to, for Christians today that pork is unclean. And I, because, and, and it's, and I, I don't believe that was the purpose. It was not. Um, basically health, health concerns and I that was not the purpose and, for the Old right. Testament. Right. And that's the second thing is even though pork was unclean in the Old Testament, I don't think it teaches that the reason was was because of health concerns. It was it, it was, was a holiness. It's a it's a moral law. It was a separation from right. the world. And right. Christians ought to be thinking about that in the things that they do and the things that they approve. Well it's like this issue of modesty. We're gonna really walk in we're gonna wade in some deep water here if you oh, yeah. you might not know but this is a huge issue today among fit, uh, because feminists and a lot of Christian feminists are teaching that the, the Bible doesn't restrict what women should wear at all, and especially no man has any right at all to say to, to uh, say to a woman or his daughter, you shouldn't wear that clothing because it's too revealing. You might cause somebody to lust. Oh no, you can't do that. That's patriarchal, misogynistic. You're just a pervert. You know, we get all this. I can name you 50 articles written by Christian women that say that very thing. 
Now, that's that's an absurdity uh, on its face because Paul says that Christians should or they'll make the statement. um, They'll make the statement that uh, that all the restrictions about clothing in the New Testament were about spiritual clothing. Now, some of them are, but that is not true in its own in, on its face. Again, go back to the book of First Timothy that uh, he makes this statement about clothing. And he, I'm trying to say this. I, I hope I can connect this point up about uh, doing certain things to make yourself to be holy. I desire First Timothy 2, 8. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, this is not talking about spiritual clothing. This is talking about physical clothing, and the description of the clothing is modest. That modest apparel is put on with propriety and moderation or shamefacedness, not with braided hair, gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. He does emphasize here that the ornamentation, all the braided hair and the gold and pearls, all the ornamentation that women wear is is not necessarily modest. Modest here means appropriate. Okay. Oh, well, that means if if I go to the beach, I can take off my top and just wear a thong because that's what's appropriate at the beach. Uh, well, that's not what the word modest here. Well, modest does mean does mean appropriate. It means fitting. It means adorned. It means made beautiful. We get the word cosmetics from the same word that's used here for the word modest. What does he say? What's the text say? The text says that the women, Christian women, should adorn themselves in appropriate or modest apparel with propriety and moderation or shamefacedness some versions say but that which is not with all the excesses of the roman women wearing the golden pearls and all that but that which is proper for women professing godliness so there is a kind of clothing that a woman who is a christian ought to wear and a kind of clothing that she ought not to wear because she's a christian why because she is set apart from the world by her godliness. That's that, her godliness sets her apart. Her clothing has to match her godliness. That's that difference that we were talking about that the exactly. Old Testament law created in the Jew, but is also needed. It applies to the Christian. So, a, so for you to say that it's okay for you as a Christian woman to parade around in leggings in public, which show every crevice of your private parts, and that's fine. Because nobody should be looking at you, which maybe they, they shouldn't. That's the man's problem, though. Your problem is, as a Christian woman, that you are not wearing clothing that is suitable for a woman who professes godliness. You're wearing clothing that's suitable for a woman who does not profess God, who professes worldliness, not godliness. For you to parade around showing off your naked body, whether it's to men or women, is not clothing that's suitable for a woman who wants to be holy or set apart. For use by God. Now, that I don't know why that would be a controversial position, but apparently it is today. Well, uh, the reason for that, Mike, is that people who are not Christians see this person and see them as different and set apart from the world. Right. They're supposed to see you as being different, not. And, and they don't have to see. It doesn't have to be like wearing Amish clothing for you to dress in a in a way that suits godliness. And there's nothing wrong with you want to wear Amish clothing. I don't care about that either. But the point is, it doesn't have to be just the latest style, which is meant to show off. Modern styles are intended to show off parts of the human body that ought to be private for male and female. And so it just isn't suitable uh, for that. Now, this is a this idea of the idea. It's one of those. The issue sometimes comes down. We're going to drift off into modest clothing here. By the way, if you want to call the show, you can react to these things, 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number you can reach us, or by text message. But this this all goes back to that separation of the Christian from the world, 
in somewhat the same manner that the Jew was separated from the world by the Old Testament law. Right. It, it comes back to that separation. It, it, the Christian separation has to do with spiritual things, but the spiritual things have a reflection in the material world that we live in. One of those is one of those is the clothing and the speech that we use and and uh, all those other things. Well, the beginning of that passage in First Peter. This is a heart problem. This idea of wearing immodest clothing here, according to Paul and Timothy, is a heart problem, not well, just an outside wearing problem. Part of the purpose of this is in. First Peter three and start reading in one it says, well, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Well, we'll get in trouble for that one. But even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. That's the whole point. And he says with their chaste behavior, that word that with fear or respect, chaste behavior is behavior that is uh, is limited to their husband. When they observe, their actions, their, when they observe your, your chaste, chaste behavior, conduct accompanied right. by fear, then the hu- the worldly husband is moved by that to honor God for this kind of wife he's got. Chaste behavior involves more than just what goes on in the heart. It involves what you're doing on the outside that reflects Christianity. It's the same thing here. That woman's behavior and her attitudes reflect that she's a Christian. So here's a how would a. How does a worldly man react when his wife says, I'm your wife, she's a Christian, he's not, and so therefore she wears appropriate clothing, she doesn't flirt with other men in public, she doesn't wear clothing that reveals her body parts to other men, but she is re- she reserves that for him. That makes this Christian man very respectful of this woman, and he knows it's because she's a Christian. On the other hand, if that same Christian wife says, well, I can wear whatever I want. No man can ever tell me what to wear. And, no, if, any, no, what, and if any man lusts after me, that's his problem. So the Christian wife wears this immodest clothing. what does that attitude reflect? Well, worldliness. It doesn't reflect godliness at all. It reflects pride. Pride, yes. But that's part let's, of it. I'm going to do whatever I want. To, let's go back to this reflects humility. When right. we're talking about 1 Peter 3, this reflects humility. Right. What does God want? And, that, and that's the kind of clothing, as it were, that reflects a woman professing godliness. Now, the issue is often brought up. We're kind of shifting gears here, Gary, but the issue is often framed this way. Since Matthew 542, I think it is, says that a man should not lust after a woman to have adultery. If he lusts after a woman, he's committed adultery. If he looks to lust after a woman, he's committed adultery with her in his heart already. That they say, well, the problem with that is even if I'm wearing my leggings, which show off every curve of my private genitals, if I wear that kind of clothing or I'm exposing almost everything you could expose without being naked as far as my breasts and my my midriff, I can wear that kind of clothing if I want. And if I do, it's the man's problem if he looks at me and lusts after me, not my problem. I'm a free Christian woman. I can do whatever I want. Okay, two things about that. Just because the man can sin in this situation doesn't mean you're sinning my point about that verse is yes a man who looks at that and doesn't turn away from you when you look he looks at you doesn't turn away from you because you're dressed immodestly he has a problem in his heart he'll be judged for that if he does if he acts or thinks inappropriately that doesn't mean though strangely enough uh, to these people that doesn't mean that you're innocent you can cause one of these little ones to stumble Okay. That, that in itself is so a, you they sin and you sin you sin by what you're wearing and what you're doing you're causing someone to stumble he sins because he stumbles but we have this idea that if i'm guilty he's innocent or if he's guilty i'm innocent foolishness not according to the bible it's not true so women you need to be careful about what you wear because number one what you wear will reflect your heart what you wear will reflect your heart Okay, and you you're going to be judged for what you say, what you do. And that's the problem with it. And then also the other man, the man's going to be judged for his heart, for what he does when he sees you dressed inappropriately or acting inappropriately or not modestly or not as a befitting a woman professing godliness. Now, it's true. A man can lust after you even if you dress properly. Well, you know what? That's all on him then. 
if you're dressed properly as a woman that, that befits godliness or dressed as a woman that is godly, and he still lusts, that's his problem, not your problem. But if you dress immodestly to attract attention to yourself sexually, then that becomes both your problems, yours and his. Okay, so that's the truth of the matter. That's not popular with Christian. I use this. In, I'm doing air quotes. Christian <laughs> feminists, if there is such a thing, they think that they are. That's not popular today with people like uh, Sheila Gregor and others. But unfortunately, I think that's what the Bible teaches about it. And uh, it's not. Look, there are lots of ways to approach the teaching of this subject with young women. That's part of their of the concern of like Sheila Gregor is that you're teaching young women to be ashamed of their bodies, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Well, though, it's not a matter of shame. It's a matter of being respectful and covering up their bodies. It's also a matter that men should not use their bodies in inappropriate ways. That includes their eyes, their hands, uh, and the, exposing themselves also. Women are also vulnerable to visual signs, symbols, or not signs, symbols, but visual uh, stimulation, not maybe as much as men, but they certainly are. And so men need to be careful about how they dress. Um, I, I'm such a I got my my six pack abs and my studly body are so great, Gary, that I don't mow my grass without a shirt on. I just don't think that the ladies in the neighborhood could take it. Well, there, there's <laughs> there's a pretty good lesson in First Corinthians eight. Paul talks about the eating of meat sacrificed to idols, and basically he's saying that under the proper understanding, there's no moral or sin involved in eating meat sacrificed to idols. But what Paul says about it reflects. What our attitude ought to be about others, he says in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 8, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Right. That 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 is a point. We should have others in mind in what we do. Right. Exactly. And so I can cause somebody to sin, and um, I can create a problem for them by what I do. So... Now, we got off on the dress because of the idea of something being appropriate or the idea that what I do on the inside will be reflected on the outside of what I do. What's on the inside will reflect it. So the idea of eating meats, the idea was uh, Jesus is saying that sin comes from the heart not just by something that goes into what you eat and your body. So it did make all meat clean, all things meat clean. All right, we've got about seven minutes left or so. You still well, got time way, to that, call that in. By the way, that passage okay. you quoted that Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble would be better for him to be a millstone be hung around his neck and he'd be thrown into That's Mark 9, beginning in verse 42. Right. Those out there and there, I think there's also the same passage in Matthew 18, I believe, but could be wrong about that but uh, i didn't look it up but any of it um if you want to call in got a few minutes left for a conversation 772-340-1590-772-340-1590 is the number to, to call us here in port st Lucie, and we'd be glad to hear from you you can ask a question or make a comment about anything you've heard and we'd be glad to respond agree or disagree that will be fine uh, we've only got a couple minutes left, Gary. I'm going to change the subject completely here. But uh. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking that, that it might be a good idea just to emphasize the fact that Christians are to be different. And they're to be morally different and basically in, in many ways different in their attitude toward their brothers in Christ and certainly toward the world. But what we're seeing today is not that. What we're seeing today is a selfishness and a pride in individuals that will cost them their souls when the day of right. judgment comes. Right. That's exactly right. And I suppose it's always been that way to one degree or another, varying degrees down through human history. This pride is the biggest problem. It's not low self-esteem. It's pride that's the biggest problem among human beings. It, it occurs both in men and women, and it looks different in men and women, but there it is. It's still pride, and that's the problem. That's what keeps you from being a faithful Christian and if, if, if unchecked, it will keep you from being saved. What can keep you to be a faithful Christian is exactly what Jesus says in John 12, 48. He says, uh, 
he who does not receive my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Look to the word of God. That's where we find what we should be doing. Right. And it emphasizes self-sacrifice. Jesus was the example of sacrifice for all of us. And we don't often take note of that. Uh, this uh, this idea of, you know, we, we could spend hours basically looking at, well, what do people believe, believe Jesus was? There's Jesus of the world and Jesus of the Bible, because some people say he never offended anyone. He always wanted everybody to be friends. He always said just, and when you look at Jesus's life, that's not the way it was. No. I mean, he was strong and he was articulate in the right things of God. And it didn't please everybody, no. and he didn't care about that. And and it and not, and not only did he not please the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the very arrogant elite people of that society, but in the end, he didn't please even the common people, because they're the ones that chanted "Crucify him, crucify him," and they hung him on a cross. So we can't even let the common people off the hook. Although at first it says. The common people heard him gladly. I think there would came a time when he, when that changed for some reason, because well, common people are easily swayed one way or the other. We see this all the time. Every four years, we start seeing this again. Common people right. get pushed and swayed this way or that way, and public opinion can turn on a dime. Doesn't mean it's right or true, but you know, it just can turn on a dime, and, and that's what we see in Bible times, because people are not looking to eternal values, they're only looking for limited temporal values at that, what can give them something at that moment, and that's how they make their decisions. Well, it, it all begins, Jesus made some very direct statements, and the, and the Word of God makes very direct statements about how he wants you to begin your Christian life. He wants you to begin your Christian life in believing that he is the Son of God. He wants you to begin your Christian life by repenting of the life that you have, recognizing that you've sinned and that you need him and confessing his name before men and then being baptized into Christ to begin your journey to right. God. And and I, this there, goes, there, there, there are not very many people that will tell you those words on right, the radio. Right. It goes back to that statement in Acts chapter 2. And if you leave those things out, basically you're leaving out his word. I'll just, I can't put it any other way. Right. The uh, the statement there when Peter was addressing those Jews who had crucified Jesus and the crowd there in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, he said, this same Jesus whom you crucify, God hath made both Lord and Christ. Now, the the meaning of that, I don't think that's just a vain repetition of Lord and Christ. I think there are perhaps two meanings, and I don't want to draw too much out of it. But on the other hand, I think the idea of him being the Christ, God made him the Christ because he is the chosen one. He showed that he was God's chosen one. He was the anointed one to save you from sin. As the Christ, he was the chosen sacrifice and the anointed one to bring forgiveness of sins. And then secondly, made him Lord, or maybe it's first day. It, the Lord there means he is the ruler of this world, and he is to be the ruler of your life, front to back, top to bottom. Christ is all and everything to, to the Christian. And, and so that's what you're saying is that with a Christian, not only do you have to come in humility and recognize that you need a Savior, that you need to be saved from sins, and God's the only one who can provide that through Christ. And that means repenting and being. And what do you tell? What do people do when they heard that? What shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. That's why we teach that here. And but repent and be baptized for, for the remission of your sins. sins. Now then, he told them to follow all the other commandments that Christ had given as Lord. So he is also the Lord that they have to follow. And so that lordship of Christ in the life of a Christian involves every aspect of your thinking and your action, from your thoughts to your dress. Everything about your life is now controlled by your knowledge of Christ. And that should keep growing all that the is, time in your life. keeps growing. It is growing. not the end. It is just the beginning. Right. So I'm, I, now I'm in the process, and so are you, Gary, of trying to make sure that we're all – we're trying to bring our lives into subjection to his will in every way. And that is Because life, he is the Lord. Believe me, of my 76 years, that is a lifetime activity. That is not something you do in a short time. Yes, and it's hard to give up being the Lord of your own life 
which the world tells you to do all the time, and let him be the Lord of your life. That's the struggle. Well, our time is just about gone. we got a little bit of time left. We appreciate you being with us this morning on We Are Just Christians. Tune in again next week. I want to point you to our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look there for sermons, information about the church, and visit us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie at 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in today. Tune in again next week. May God bless you. You've been listening to We're Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.